to invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to be right towards the end, and this is the last chapter in the book of Hebrews. Um, And if you're looking for Hebrews, it's kind of one of those towards the end of the New Testament, right before the book of James. Um, And uh, so if you're in like 1 John, you're a little bit too far. 1 Peter, a little too far uh, in that area of the New Testament. And this is Hebrews 13. This is one of the many different texts that Thomas Ken, the author of the doxology, reflected on in writing the full breadth of the song. Uh, between Hebrews 13 and Matthew 5, with let your yes be yes and your no be no, uh, we get a lot of the direction of the song as a whole. As you hear these words, I invite you to also be mindful that God doesn't call us to something impossible. Difficult, maybe, but not impossible. And God doesn't call us or ask us to do things uh, that, that we would not be able to do. And yet, where we grow is when we do the things that we couldn't do on our own, but that we need God's help for, that we need our brothers and sisters in Christ in the communion of saints to help alongside of us and with us. This is where we truly grow. And so as you hear these just few verses from Hebrews 13, um, be mindful of what it says about what God calls us to and, and who's doing the equipping. And if God were to equip you, what would that make you capable of? But before we read God's word together, let's pray for God's blessing upon the word. Jesus, you are the Word made flesh, the Word incarnate who walked among us, who died for us and rose again for us. And it's about you. It's all about you. As we seek to bring glory to you, may we learn from this, your written Word, that it may connect with our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit, that it may equip us, shape our minds and our thoughts, challenge us, Encourage us, not let us off the hook, but also not bring us to a place of shame, but rather to a place of confidence with you alongside of us. This we pray in your name, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll read Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 21. And after the reading of God's word, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you're grateful for it, I invite you to respond with thanks be to God. Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we went through in confession and assurance, what do you say yes to? And what do you say no to? Our lives and our choices really come down to a series of yeses and nos. Our wisdom and our discernment comes down to 
which is the right answer in which situation. When should it be a yes? When should it be a no? I would say that it's, some things are really clear-cut and simple, but uh, others are challenging. There's times where, where there's motivations that, that make things a little bit nuanced, where we're not always dead set on what's yes and what's no. But that's where we turn to God, that, that as Hebrews says, that God may equip us so that we can do Christ's will. That we, we want God to build up within us the ability to, to know when to say yes and when to say no. Uh, what's our motivations? What's our circumstances? And also that the Holy Spirit would strengthen us to keep our yeses and nos that we have made. Life is a decision-making continuum of yeses and nos. There's also, um, there's yes, no, and not yet, not quite, uh, which one of the things that I know when our children were a little bit younger than they are now, that Caitlin read, um, a child psychologist had said, keep in mind, to a toddler, not now means never. And they don't understand the difference. Not now and never are the same. But as we grow and mature, and as we grow like little toddlers before Jesus, as we grow in spiritual maturity, there might be times where we learn to say, not yet. Or maybe we need to hold something for a bit. Yes, no, not yet. And in those moments and scenarios and areas of our life where we're just not sure, this is where we come to God and, and ask for this word from Hebrews to be true that we may be equipped with everything good for doing Christ's will. And that, that when we are equipped, that then he may work within us what's pleasing to him. And all of this is to bring glory to God. It's all to bring glory to God. It's not the point where we pat ourselves on the back and say, we are really good Christians because we make all the right decisions. It's not about us. Our best decision-making and wisdom and discernment and equipping allows us to joyfully bring more glory to God. That comes with gratitude for what God has done. That comes with love for God and for neighbor. That comes with all of the fruits of the Spirit packaged within our hearts that get lived out through our lives. But it starts with maybe just the simplicity of knowing, what do I need to say yes to and what do I need to say no to? Now, Thomas Ken, the author of the doxology, as I said, was writing hymns before hymn writing was really a thing. And, and it's a little bit ironic to say that being a writer of hymns made him kind of a rebel. I mean, that's not exactly the behavior we associate with being really rebellious. Um, but yeah, writing hymns used to be kind of like this big deal thing. That's something you didn't tell your mom and dad that you were doing, you know. In the evenings, I write hymns. I thought that was funny. Um, anyways, but Thomas Ken, to contrast with John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace that we talked about last week, you know, Newton had this epic story of falling away from faith and all the adventures and just living this wild and crazy life and then having this reborn conversion moment after a near drowning. I mean, Newton kind of lived life all over the place. Thomas Ken did not, but he was no less of just a bulwark of the faith, uh, someone with deep convictions who knew God's grace really, really well. But it got lived out in a different way. 
Thomas Ken was the chaplain of Winchester Boys School, a historic school. And, and one example of just, okay, who is, who is this person who wrote the doxology when it was kind of an edgy thing to be writing hymns? Who was this person? Well, one thing that guided Thomas Ken in all of his life was that the only one to bring glory to was God. And he did not care about bringing glory to anyone else. He did not care about paying lip service to royalty or rulers within his own land. And this is a clergy person in the Church of England, which church and state pretty melded together there. Well, Charles II was the king for much of, um, much of um, Thomas Ken's life when he was at Winchester School. Charles II had a lot of mistresses. He rotated through uh, several women who were not his wife. And one time, um, as the story goes, Charles II was coming to visit Winchester. And on his way to Winchester, word was said ahead to Thomas Ken saying, hey, you need to house Charles II. Also, he's coming with that actress, uh, Nell Gwain, I think. And, uh, and Thomas Ken said, no, I'm not going to do it. He's a clergy person in the Church of England. This is the King of England coming to Winchester, and he's like, nope, they're living in adultery. I am not housing them at Winchester. To which there is uh, some historic documents recording that ever since that moment, King Charles referred to Thomas Ken as that little man who wouldn't house poor Nellie. That little man. I don't know if there's anything about his stature or just that King Charles looked down on Thomas Ken, kind of this pious, arms-crossed chaplain of Winchester School for Boys. But the funnier part of the story that we can't verify through history, um, but that had enough credibility and traction that kind of became an urban legend and myth and fits what we know of Thomas Ken is this. Thomas Ken's clergy fellows told him, it's the King of England, it's the King of England Thomas, get over yourself and house them. And he's like, nope, I'm not going to do it. And they're like, you have to. And he's like, or do I? So Thomas Ken hired a builder to remove the roof of his house so that when King Charles arrived, he said, oh, I'm sorry, good sir, I cannot house you for my home is in disrepair. He took the roof off of his house just so that you wouldn't have to house the king of England. This is the type of just stubborn, pious person that Thomas Ken was. And I don't use pious in a bad sense in this moment, but rather it wasn't the pressure of who it was that was coming to visit him that was going to change his decision-making. Thomas Ken wanted people to bring glory to God and no one else. And he was very much a call-it-as-you-see-it, straight-shooting kind of person. And it was his whole goal as chaplain to make sure that the boys at Winchester School also would mindfully bring glory to God in all that they did, and that they would make it a regular throughout-the-day practice of reflecting on God's grace. In that regard, Thomas Ken is fascinating. To take the roof off of your house just so that you didn't have to host someone because it was against your conscience and no one was going to let you say no. That is creative and 
I don't know if it's admirable or overkill, but it sure is interesting. But we sing the doxology so regularly. We, for quite some time, have sung it at the end of every service. And, and the framing and mindset of it is that as we go from this place where we've maybe had a, a little bit of a break, a little bit of a breather, hopefully some, some respite from um, our daily labor and toils, that we come to this place to worship, to, to center ourselves on God. But then as we go from this place where we have been gathered, that we go from being gathered to being sent. And as we are sent, we go with that charge to bring glory to God, to praise God from whom all blessings flow, to know that all creation praises God with us by its very existence, for it was created by the Creator, and that we want to bring glory to God by what we say and what we do, and that our decisions, our yeses and nos, align our lives so that we bring glory to God in the small things and in the big things. It might be in how we spend our time, or it might be in taking the roof off of our house. Hopefully, more than not, a lot of things in between. I wonder, though, as we close this series, because we, we venture towards Lent next. Ash Wednesday, uh, this coming Wednesday, is a time where we mark together the beginning of this season. I wonder with the doxology in mind and with this idea of letting our yeses and nos bring glory to God, I wonder if that helps us frame Lent a little bit for how we make it an intentional season. I, I always uh, felt a little, little silly when we get to Ash Wednesday or the first Sunday of Lent and then we're talking about how to, to make Lent matter and how to, how to practice it well because it seems like we're kind of after the fact at that point. So instead of talking about fasting or whatever else that we might on Ash Wednesday, to be mindful of all the different ways with yeses and nos that we can make these 40 days, starting this Wednesday, these 40 days that lead us to Easter count, that they may do something within us, that, that Christ may work within us what is pleasing to him, as Hebrews 13 says. What might you say yes to during Lent? What would you apply yourself to? And what would you say no to? What would you fast from or say, you know what, not now? Sometimes Lent is used to try to break bad habits permanently. And other times it's just, you know what, I'm just going to give this a break for a certain amount of time. There are some people who give up caffeine for Lent. To those people, I would say, we want you to love Jesus, not hate life. That's not what Lent is about. Although, maybe that just speaks to one's own caffeine addiction where it's like, uh-uh, that, that's just not on the table. Maybe that's exactly what should be on the table. But also, Jesus told us to not make a big deal about what you're fasting about, so I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do or not do. But all of us, and hopefully with a trusted friend or two within the communion of saints, be mindful of maybe there is something that we give a break to, that we make room in our lives to bring more glory to God or even through simple disciplines, applying ourselves to, you know what, I'm going to say yes to a, a more regular rhythm of Bible reading. I'm going to say yes to guarding some space for prayer between me and God. On Wednesday nights, uh, before we pray, we always, always say with uh, Kids Quest, let's, you know, close, let's fold our hands so that we're not wiggling, and let's have a special conversation between us and God called prayer. Maybe what we say yes to in Lent 
is guarding a little bit of that space for a special conversation between us and God called prayer. Maybe we think, ah, you know what, I've gotten a little bit out of habit. Maybe I need to say yes to guarding some space in my life to read scripture or to read a devotional. Maybe we need to say yes to those things. And, and sometimes it can seem daunting that if we're trying to spiritually overhaul our whole lives and we're not sure if we can sustain it, Lent is a gift, a perfect gift to us to say, you know what, I can do this for 40 days. That's not that long in terms of time. I can give that a try. I can devote this part of my day for 40 days. I can do this. And also, just remember, if you're fasting from something, Sunday doesn't count in the 40 days. It's meant to be a little cheat day to give yourself a break. Optional. But what do we say yes to? Is there an act of service as we, as we have the children say, give me hands to serve? Is there a way that we want to serve that we want to say yes to? Is there an opportunity that maybe we feel God's been nudging us a little bit? And we can say, okay, you know what, God? Lent. These 40 days of the season where I will say yes to that. Where we try something on. Maybe it becomes permanent. Maybe it doesn't. But it's the learning. And just one word of caution to not become a Pharisee about bringing glory to God, because then you're going to be serving yourself again. So maybe you've got a Bible devotional or a plan that you're going to read. I think plans are really helpful if they keep us accountable. And also they can be a trap if the plan becomes its own thing that's binding us. Because the point is just to spend time in the Word. Last year, a friend of mine confessed, I don't know if that's even the right word, confessed that like, yeah, I had this Bible plan for Lent, and I just got stuck. And I was like, what do you mean you got stuck? It's like, well, like, I was reading through the Gospel of John, and then I just kept reading that chapter like four days in a row. And I was like, that's not stuck. That's spiritual progress. Because it means that there's something in that part of Scripture that at this particular moment, God is saying, this is for you. This is what I'm trying to speak to you. I'm trying to grab the attention of your heart with this passage. So don't worry about keeping on track with the plan if what it has yielded is spending time in the Word. The yes is not to be perfect. The yes is to accept the perfection of Christ as enough. The yes is to spend time in the Word or spend time in prayer or to be intentional about service. These are the yeses that we can seek to try on maybe in a different or creative way in Lent so that we can bring glory to God. And that all of this, as Hebrews 13.20 says, may the God of peace, may the peace of Christ rule in our hearts during Lent, even as we repent, even as we try to be more intentional about what we say and do and what we don't do. May the God of peace, through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, May there be peace in Lent even as we grow. Like a good workout that leaves you kind of sore but feeling good. I don't know what that's like anymore, physically speaking. Lent can also be a time to say no, to fast, to take a break from something. And I think some of these things can be in that neutral category of this isn't an ultimately bad thing but I wonder if it can take up too much time and attention or maybe just the absence of it can draw my attention to how I can bring glory to God in my life. 
So, I mean, some people give up chocolate because they're like, I eat chocolate every day. That doesn't turn Lent into a diet. The point is that when you want something, like the chocolate that you're used to having, you pause instead and say, you know what, this is an opportunity for me to just say a prayer. Thank you, God, for this, that, or the other today. Or to hold on to the sharing and caring page that we have here at church and to go back and just say a prayer for one person. Sometimes we can give something up um, because maybe we've been cautioned that, you know what, this is okay, but I think it's taking over your life. Sometimes people might choose to give up alcohol for Lent and say, you know what, I could always, anyone can say, I can quit anytime I want. Lent's a great time to prove if that's actually true or not, or if maybe there's something a little bit deeper that needs some soul care. And I know here at North Holland, you might be like, well, if I give up alcohol for Lent, how will RCOF make money off of the PopCan fundraiser? Don't worry. RCOF will be fine, and Bush Light will still be in business after Lent. Seriously. Oh, also, don't try to pull the bag out of the bottom because it's frozen because there was some water in the can and I tried to pull it up and now there's just a trash can full of cans in there. Shucks. Oh well, spring will come and everything will get thawed out and it'll be a big mess. But RCYF, you're doing great with those pop cans. <laughs> or cans. But maybe there are those moments where we say, you know what, I'm going to give something a break just to see if I can, if I, if I have it within me. And will it make you pay attention? Will it make you mindful of how hard things are to give up? Or, or is it a time just to say, you know what, I'm going to break one habit and, and try to form another. Now, habits relapse. Nothing's permanent. But Lent is still that time and season to say, you know what, I'm going to be intentional. What do I say yes to? to give a little bit more space and time to God, to bring glory to him, to, to allow God to have that equipping presence in our life that we make space for it. And what do we just say no to? Say, I'm not swearing this off forever. I'm not done forever with it, but I'm going to make this a fast. I'm going to use this season to be really intentional. And in that moment, I think God just simply whispers, pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on in your heart, and your mind with whatever it is that you give up. Two years ago, um, a friend of mine, we were talking about what to do for Lent, and I suggested, I'm like, hey, you know, you've made some comments about that your language has gotten a little bit salty. And I was like, maybe you could, like, give up swearing for Lent. I'm not saying that all those words are evil and horrible, but maybe just, like, give it up for 40 days. To which the response was, Stephen, I need those words. <laughs> I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Once again, Lent makes us pay attention. So what is it that you want to say no to? To create some space and attention in your heart and mind. And what can you say yes to? And will your yeses and your noes bring glory to God? So today's Sunday. We've got Monday and Tuesday. And then by Wednesday morning at 12.01 a.m., what will it be that you have chosen to give your yes and your no to for Lent? Now, we don't parade around celebrating what we're doing with everyone, but I do think it's good to tell someone, a family member, a friend, that we can remind each other 
that we can hold each other to what we do with our yeses and our noes. Whatever the case may be, this is for bringing glory to God. And that may be just the space that we need, that Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, may equip us with everything good for doing his will. And may he work within us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we hold before you our lives as a series of decisions that we make. We hold before you our yeses and our noes and our not yets or not sures. And we ask that you make us diligent and thoughtful, kind to ourselves and bold in what we're willing to take on, that we may choose a yes and a no for Lent that will make us mindful of you, that will draw us closer to you. And may this be not for ourselves, though we will benefit secondhand from it, but may all of our yeses and noes through Lent and beyond design our lives to bring glory to you in what we say and think and do and in what we don't say or stop thinking about or stop doing. We hold it all before you, Jesus, you the great shepherd of us, the sheep. May we bring glory to you and may your peace reign in our hearts as we do so. Amen.